Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is part two of our top five NCAA men's basketball storylines. So Jalen and I came up with five topics together, and these are some of the biggest stories right now in college basketball. But of course, we cannot be joined alone as we are joined by our good friends from Baller Island. So please welcome Jay Sahoda and Bilal Alahi. Yo, yo, what's going yo. on, boys? What's going on? Going on. Happy to be back. How you guys doing today? Chilling, man. Can't wait to talk some college hoops, man. It's been a fun season so far. Fact, a lot of lot of great upsets. Feel like the top twenty-five is constantly changing. Should be should be a nice conversation, man. Yeah, even though it feels like it, it's December, even though it is December, it feels like it's March with all the madness that's going on right now in college basketball. And speaking of madness, I want to swing it to uh, Jalen for our first topic. So, Jalen, let's kick this episode off. Yeah, man. So the last time we had these guys on, we talked about the top 10 teams that we thought you should watch coming outside of the top 25 of AP poll when the season started. And since then, we've had upsets after upsets. We've had crazy non-conference games and a lot of expectations. It's a lot of expectations starting to be diminished quickly one of the teams that's easy to fall in the middle of this right now is the memphis tigers right so you talk about one of the better freshman recruiting classes getting imani bates and um jalen duran and they start out the season pretty solid but then there's a four game stretch within this last week and a half um against georgia Ole miss murray state and um iowa state where four straight losses and there was a lot going on within the coaching staff, specifically Penny Hardaway, where he had a lot of uh, not-so-nice comments towards the uh, play of his team and the, uh, the togetherness of his squad. Since that time frame took place, since that time frame, they actually had a players-only meeting, which Penny Hardaway did not participate in, and it was actually called by the players, very big on their part as a young squad. And they're coming off of a big dub over number six, Alabama. So with that being the case, Jay, I'm going to start with you, bro. First off, thoughts on the Memphis Tigers as a team this season? And then second, do you think that this Alabama win is just what the team needed to finally pull, you know, their hand away from the panic button? Because I think it was getting kind of sketchy coming into the Alabama game, especially with Tennessee up next on Saturday. Oh, no doubt. And I, I had no idea about the players only meeting and that that can always help turn a, turn a team season around. Right. So that, that was a huge deal that they managed to do that just here and then now. But anytime you beat a ranked team and you're struggling and you've had expectations, that's a big deal. Like that's kind of all it takes to kind of turn your season around. And for Memphis to do that against a pretty decent Alabama team that most certainly is a game that can help turn your season around. Of course, like y'all mentioned, it's only December. Having said that, come March, it's these kind of games when you look at a team's resume, if they're on the bubble, which Memphis might just be on the bubble, this is a game you look back at and be like, well, they did beat Alabama. So I think for Memphis, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know a ton about them going into this season. Obviously, I heard about their win against Alabama. But this is definitely a win that can help a team get hot at the right time. And 
we all know in college ball is you if you get hot late February, early March, that's the time to do it. But this was a big win for them. Right. And below the thing that I was looking at when I was looking at their schedule ahead is outside of this Alabama game, they have Tennessee, like I said, up, up next this weekend. And they get Houston twice on the back end of, uh, of the season during conference play. But outside of that, there's not a lot of like stock risers in terms of matchups this year. So my question to you is, do you think that I mean, every ranked like ranked opponent that you face is a big time game. But how much more do you think it means to the Memphis Tigers to win games like that against Alabama, against Tennessee in a season where a lot of teams are playing above expectation? And I think getting in getting a bid in the NCAA conf, uh, NCAA tournament might be arguably as difficult as ever, considering there's a lot of teams that are kind of rising from the depths. Yeah, no, I, to me, I'm kind of going on the other side, man. I don't know. I never really bought into this Alabama team as being that good. Um, so for them to beat Alabama, yeah, it's a, it's a win that looks good on your resume. Um, but to me, it didn't really impress me too much. I mean, they got, they've been loaded with talent the last couple of years. Um, and Moni Bates has been the number one guy like all throughout high school. And he's only played 15 minutes in that game. So this next game against Tennessee, I think, is going to be like a massive game. Because if you string two, two ranked wins in a row, now we can start talking, right? But the two Houston games later on in the year, they got a couple of Wichita State games mixed in the year. Wichita State's not going to be ranked, but, you know, they're a team that is pretty good. Cincinnati, another team like that. I mean, I think they're right in that ballpark with Wichita State, with Cincinnati. They have way more talent, I think. They got two dudes going in the first round. Um, it's just a matter if they can string it together. And I don't know if with some of these dudes that are one and done, like Moni Bates, I don't know how happy he is only playing 15 minutes a game where he thinks he's the number one pick in this draft. So Memphis is, I don't know, it's a wait and see approach for me. So I think the biggest thing, so you talk about Amani. So he, he's actually a two-year player just out of the fact of his age. But I think when you look at Memphis as a program, he could be one and done for Memphis <laughs> if he's getting the kind of minutes that he's getting. So that's his own thing. And Jalen Durant played huge in that game, especially um, as part of that closing five. But Ryan, we got to talk about some of like the, the real nitty gritty stuff, right? Third in blocks per game as a team with 7.2. They're first in the entire NCAA in, um, in terms of free throw attempts per game. One of the worst turnover teams in the league, like really up there in terms of giving the ball away. But they're one of the best teams at not only offensive, uh, offensive rebounding, but especially rebounding off of terrible shots, which you have a guy like Lester Kionis. No, no offense, my guy. But when you get a lot of bad shots, you start to get used to them and you start to get used to how to rebound them. Nonetheless, Ryan, what are, you, what are your overall thoughts on this Memphis team from what you've seen so far? when you factor in the kind of talent they have, because there's a lot of mental mistakes, but like Jay and Bilal was saying, a lot of talent though on paper. Yeah. So just to kind of talk about the pros and cons of Memphis right now, you mentioned a lot of the statistical improvements this year. When you talk about rebounds and blocks, they definitely have the players that are contributing to that. Williams is one of them. Deandre Williams Jalen Duran, one of the top rebounders as well. He also was in discussion for being one of the top draft picks this year as well. And he's definitely playing like a draft pick. But you also look at the negatives of this team. And I have to point to two players that have been pretty disappointing so far. I would have to say Emily Bates and Earl Timberlake. Now, when you talk about Emily Bates, you look at maybe 
the structure of the offense is just not for him. I think it's maybe because Penny Hardaway is trying to turn him into a mirror image of himself as a 6'9 point guard, a 6'9 versatile point guard that can play multiple positions on the floor. Emney Bates isn't that guy. And you can kind of watch the last couple of games to see that he's not that type of a player, especially looking at his shooting numbers. He shot less than 20% in two of the last three games that Memphis has played. He actually shot 10% from the field against Ole Miss and 16% against Alabama in their last game. So I just think it's about finding the role for Emney Bates on this offense. And then the thing with Earl Timberlake is that I just think he's just lost on this team. I feel like with all the talent on this Memphis team, he just gets lost in the shuffle. And when I heard he was going to Memphis for the first time, I was concerned because I wasn't sure how he was going to fit on this team. And you could tell that he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle because he's not getting a lot of attention with the ball. He definitely has the talent to be a great guard for this team, but he's not getting enough time to show it. So I feel like Earl Timberlake and Emmy Bates are two players that if they don't like how they're being used in this Memphis system, I could see how I could see why should I say that they would enter the transfer portal next season. I mean, just to kind of close out on Memphis, I mean, especially with that Earl Timberlake point, I mean, Looking at the last couple of games in particular, Penny Hardaway has tried out a different starting lineup pretty much every other game or every game for the last, you know, two weeks. And I think that's just because he's trying to figure out what guys fit next to each other. Uh, well, I mean, the two guys that I would just say to watch out for when you talk about them is uh, Alex Lomax, big time on defense, showed his stripes against Alabama on the outside, considering all the guard play that they have. And then Landers Nolly, I think he gets kind of caught in the shuffle because the freshmen are so um, – exacerbated in the media, but Landers Nolly, I would argue next to maybe DeAndre Williams is probably their, their best player in terms of college production. I think Jalen Duran, he's the ticket. He's the ticket to them being really good on the defensive end. And Imani Bates, Ryan, you said it perfectly. If they can figure out how to utilize him based on what he's already strong at, rather than, of course, like you mentioned before, Penny trying to turn him into something else almost like projecting him NBA already rather than focusing on getting NCAA wins you got a squad going there with that one so I think that Memphis Memphis has a lot of time they're one of the younger teams in the NCAA so it's one of those things that I think is going to take some time but no no thing cures um bad blood in a locker room than winning I think Alabama getting uh Alabama getting smacked up um this past uh this past week was definitely something that could help turn their fortunes around so, uh, fellas, I'm going to bring it back to you guys, Dave. I'm going to start with you again. Baylor, man. Baylor. Continue to be a problem um, for the entire NCAA. Sitting atop the Big 12 at 9-0 right now. Uh, big wins. Main one coming recently over Villanova, which wasn't even close. And if you watched the game, it felt way more distant than even what the score showed. Um, big game over Michigan State as well. Um, thoughts on Baylor? not only as the returning chance, but just with their current situation, the new look that they have um, with guys like James Akinjo coming in, Adam Flagler getting more minutes. I think the main thing when you look at Baylor this early in the season, first of all, I'm not really surprised, to be honest. I mean, we all saw what they did late in that tournament. We all saw what they did in the championship game. This is a defensive team, even though they lost some of their better players to the NBA, like Mitchell and Butler. But like you mentioned, they brought in some new guys. They still have some guys from that team last year. 
I'm not surprised Baylor is playing the way they are, especially defensively at all. But this Villanova game, I'd be honest, I didn't get a chance to watch this game, but just from what I've read about it and what I've heard about it, this was a defensive clinic that Baylor put on. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to take a look and watch some of these highlights. But anytime in college ball, you're holding a team, and not just any team, you're holding Villanova, who's in one of the better programs in college basketball for the a handful of years now, to 36 points, you're doing something right. That was a really, really impressive win. I think not only, like you just mentioned, Jalen, you could do that against any team, but the fact they did that against Villanova makes it that much more impressive. I'm not surprised by Baylor, but that's an impressive win early in the year. And like you mentioned, Michigan State as well, winning that one by double digits too. Baylor's looking good right now. Deserve They definitely deserve to be in the number one spot right now. And I mean, just to put it in perspective, in, in the game against uh, Villanova, they held Colin Gillespie, who entered the season as like preseason player of the year for uh, the Big East, held him to six points. Wow. Put it even into even more perspective, only seven shots on the night. Justin Moore led the team with 14 shots, um, 15 points in the game um, to lead them. I mean, that pretty much puts it in perspective alone, just out of the fact that from a guard standpoint, Colin Gillespie is arguably one of the more talented guards, not just in the Big East, but in the country in terms of his productivity. And so to limit him, the first quarter, was I mean, the, uh, the first half was pretty much non-existent for him as an offensive threat. It kind of took uh, a late three in the first half and kind of an early three in the second half to even kind of put him on the board. And from there, pretty much nothing you could hear from him. But uh, Bilal, I mean, you talk about this team coming in already with championship pedigree and being in a situation where it seemed like some of the guys like Chamwa Chachua, Adam Flagler, Thamba, a lot of their guys, even Matthew Mayer for sure too, who a lot of people are talking about being a potential like NBA draft pick as well. It seems like they got better, which like seems scary considering these were already guys getting solid rotational minutes. So like below, what are your thoughts on Baylor? Um, not only this season, but like in as in the entire perspective of the NCAA matching up against, you know, some of the some of the other teams that we've seen at number one. We've seen Purdue at number one, Duke at number one. How do you think they stack up against some of these other top teams with the way they're formulated right now? I mean, you got to give Baylor all the credit in the world. They just came off the national championship, right? You're the championship. You're the champion until somebody beats you and they're rolling. Um, Akinjo and Flagler slotted right into the to Butler and Mitchell's role like it was nothing. They're holding up their defense. And that, big picture wise, honestly, this is like, Baylor right now, like Scott Drew's got them. This is like one of the best programs right now in college basketball. Like the way they're just in, they just graduate their two best players, new guys slot up, they don't skip a beat. And they just basically punch Villanova, who I've always thought of Villanova as basically a top five program for a long time. And they just punched them in the mouth. And like, it, it was ridiculous. I can't, I couldn't believe it. This team to me, I think personally, is the best team in the in the in the whole league in the conference, in the in the in this country, whatever you want to say it. They're the favorites to me to repeat. I mean, I can't be mad at it. I mean, the main thing is, I mean, they're getting in from all places, right? Chom Chachua leading the team with eight point three rebounds per game. Akinjo kind of stepping into the role that I think a lot of people coming out of high school didn't expect him to be. He was a lot more of like a a a, a microwave scorer coming out of high school, but he's kind of humbled into this facilitation role, six assists per game, which is huge. 2.2 steals per game for him too. So he's doing it on both ends without trying to over assert himself. He's a scary player when you talk about him trying to step up to the plate on the offensive end. But with this much talent for a guy like this to realize that he needs to be a big time distributor for the squad and embrace that role. I think that's huge. Um, 
You talk about uh, Kendall Brown, freshman for them. Big, rangy dude who definitely is getting the job done, shooting 50% from three, second leading scorer on the team with 12.3 points per game. And, I mean, just across the board, they still look extremely solid. And I think you, I think you said it best, Below, like until somebody knocks them off or humbles them, right, it's kind of hard to bet against the team like that when they, when they show up so, so big when the lights are brightest. We saw this in the national championship game where a lot of people thought that was going to be a back and forth against Gonzaga. And instead it, it wasn't, it wasn't close at all. You know what I mean? Same thing with this Villanova game, very anticipated. And instead it wasn't even close and neither team even reached 60 points, which is also its own thing. When you talk about Jay was saying a defensive clinic. So um, that actually brings us to our next topic though, uh, on Villanova talking about the big East, bro. And um, it took the, the reason why I even came up with this topic when me and Ryan were talking about like things we wanted to discuss. One of the main things we want to focus on is which conference is like kind of standing out this year because we've always kind of compared them last year. I felt like the Big Ten was the strongest conference in, in basketball. I don't know if the Big East is up there just yet. Ryan, I'm actually going to start with you on this one. But there's a lot of teams that look really good in the Big East right now. So uh, starting with you, what's a team that stands? You can start with Villanova if you want to, but like what are, what are some teams in there that stand out? I mean, there's a couple that can come to mind that have been playing pretty pretty good um, so far this year. I feel like the go-to option is obviously Villanova because of their consistency and the way that Colin Gillespie have been playing up to that point, uh, playing up to that point against Baylor, should I say. But looking at the Seton Hall team, this Seton Hall team is really impressive. I think what they've been able to do this year, just looking at their schedule and how they were able to knock off Texas in a very competitive matchup. When you think about this Seton Hall team, you obviously think of Jared Roden. You also think of Alexis Yetna. And I think these are the two players that you think of that automatically produce for this team on the offensive side of the ball. Another team that not a lot of people talk about, and actually I think it was Jay that brought this team up in our last episode, Marquette. And under Shaka Smart, great team right now. Daryl Morcell's playing some of his best basketball that he's been playing in his college career. Honestly, you can look at, at these two teams as teams that can make severe impacts in the Big East. But honestly, you look at this entire Big East, and there is not one team that has a below 500 record right now. And we're a good third of the way into the season. So honestly, you could just say every team in this conference has a chance to win the Big East title. Yeah, and when you talk about the when you talk about the Big East right now, I mean that's that's that about none of them, no team being below 500 right now. Just goes to show you how tough conference play is going to be when it comes around the corner. And Ryan, you brought up you brought up Roden for Seton Hall. I think, I mean, he needs to get NBA draft um, conversation going. And I'm not even just talking about of his, his statistics, right? 17.4 points per game, shooting just over, uh, for just around 42% from the field. Um, but just an overall well-built player, plays on both sides of the floor, plays really aggressive and has played really good um, down the stretch in games too. Talk about Daryl Morcell as people that are, are, are fans, fans of Maryland basketball, to see that Shaka Smart is able to unlock this man in ways that Mark Turgeon never was just goes to tell you 
a lot that you need to know about Mark Durgeon as a coach. We kind of had a whole episode ranting about it, so I'm not going to get into that too much. But that I think that just goes to show you that in the right situations, a lot of these guys can really maximize their true potential. And Shaka Smart is putting the ball in in Daryl Morsell's hands a lot, and it he's going places quickly. Um, Ryan, I actually want to stick with you on this, though. The team that's come to mind to me the most, and I, I think I've been gassing them a little too much over the last couple of days. I got to be honest. I'll tell the truth. But I am a huge fan of Providence right now, like extremely huge fan of Providence. Been watching them play a lot. They actually got um, a win over Rhode Island most recently. That was actually one of the games I had watched. And they've got a lot of senior leaders on this team. Um, Ajami Durham is one of my like favorite players on this squad uh, transfer from Indiana, second leading scorer on the team, I believe. Um, Nate Watson, uh, uh, just a load down low. Uh, AJ Reeves, one of the better players on the team as well. I mean, what what are your thoughts on Providence and where you think they like where they sit in the landscape? Cause this is one of those teams that I feel like is going to make noise this year. And I think it's going to come down to the play of those three guys because across the Big East, there's a lot of really solid big threes. I think you could honestly talk about um, Orchler as well because he is the the leading rebounder on Providence as well. He's been shooting the ball pretty well from the field, does most of his work down low, attacking the glass, trying to get those rebounds like I mentioned earlier. But you look at their schedule to this point in the season – They've beaten some really good teams, and this is a this is a battle tested team too. You look at some of the teams they played. They played Vermont, who's always been at the top of their conference in the America East Conference. Always a tough cha- always a tough task for any team to play. Texas Tech, they defeated them before they were ranked in the top twenty five. Their only loss of the season comes to Virginia, which I think it's a good loss when you think about it, considering that Virginia has always been a talented team, even though they've lost a good chunk of their players from the last season, but Tony Bennett's still the coach and they've always been a pretty good defensive team. You also talk about Northwestern with uh, Pete Nance. He's been a great player for them, great scorer for them down low. Wisconsin, they also defeated them. So you have the resume for, for the teams that they've beaten so far. So Providence definitely has that, uh, has that on their side. But you also talk about the plays or the, the play of a lot of the guys that you mentioned, Jalen. You talk about Watson, you talk about Durham, and you talk about Reeves. They, they've been special for this team so far. You talk about Watson, 15 points a game, five and a half rebounds, averages a block a game. I think he really complements Horchler well down low, especially uh, as a one two punch in the front court. So I think that this team definitely has a lot of players that can help this team win a lot of games. But the schedule is only going to get tougher for them this year. They have to play Connecticut. And we haven't talked, we haven't talked a lot about Connecticut at all this year. And they're nine and two, and they just lost their best player in the NBA draft in James Booknight. So you look at them, I think that's a huge, that's a huge battle for them. I think the winner of that game will definitely have a huge advantage in the Big East. So, uh, Jay, I'm going to use this as a, a propeller into talking to you guys about the, the Big East as a whole. And Ryan just, you know, he got off of Connecticut with R.J. Cole, who's been playing really well, probably one of the better seasons of his uh, career so far. Uh, Adama Sanogo, year two, significant jump from uh, last year. 
But outside of them, just from every all the teams we've listed, any teams we might have missed, just what are who are some guys? What are some teams that have stood out to you in the Big East so far this season? Is this the year the Big East is back, boys? Ooh. That's my question. That's my question. But I guess we'll have to wait till March when the Big East tournament comes around because that's usually when things get hectic. But but no, when I'm looking at the standings too, I mean, both you guys hit on it, right? There's not a team below 500 in this conference, and you look who's sitting in last place. They're the defending Big East champs, Georgetown, <laughs> who ran the table last year. I mean, they were 500 last year, and they ran the table, and they're sitting in last place right now. That should tell you, I mean, they did lose some guys as well, but that should kind of just go to show you how competitive the Big East is. Ryan, you brought up Marquette. Yeah, that's a team I talked about the last time you guys had us on. And I'm not surprised how well they're doing because I talked about Shaka Smart and how I knew he was going to come in here and he was going to change that culture. And they've done a nice job. They have some two nice wins there. They beat Illinois, a good team there. They beat West Virginia, another good team. Um, they lost a tough one against UCLA. But Marquette's a team I definitely wouldn't sleep on. But it's crazy how competitive this conference actually is. I mean, I haven't taken a nice look at the standings. But, I mean, DePaul's usually a team always sitting in last place. They're sitting in third at 9-1. and one. So I think what's going to, what we're going to see is once the conference games start happening in January and February, then we'll kind of start seeing who beats up on who, right? Like you guys mentioned, I think you're saying UConn's playing Providence this weekend, if I'm correct, mm. right? That's a big, that's a big game early in the season, right? So we're going to start seeing then. I think the Big East is going to be one of those things where the conference games will go to show you. Villanova's currently sitting in second last place, Villanova. Like, I think that 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 should just kind of go to show how competitive the Big East is. But it'll it'll be interesting to see who comes out of this conference and how many teams come out of this conference when tournament time comes. Yeah, Ryan, you would think, right, Georgetown takes a big plummet. You think we'd be getting a player in cutest Wahab for, for Maryland, right? You, that's, that's what you would assume, you know what I mean? But it just isn't showing up so far. I want to do a little house clean, cleaning, too, because I kind of gassed Daryl Marcel a little bit. But Justin Lewis has been really solid in the Big East, too, leading the conference in rebounds with 7.8 rebounds per game. Tyler Kolek diming out there nearly six assists per game and is shooting the ball really well. Um, I mean, it. I mean, the conference overall is scary competitive. Below, what are your thoughts on the conference overall? I know we've said a lot already about the Big East, but I think the point that we're all trying to emphasize is that this is going to be one of the more competitive conferences um, across the country when you consider the fact that when you really look at the landscape of the Big East, you could make an argument for nearly every team, especially the top five for sure, but like nearly every team in there having a, at least a really solid quality win in the early starts of the season, which is which is huge before going into conference play. Definitely. As a whole, I think there's already a handful of teams, four or five teams that are in the top 25. A bunch of these teams are going to get, you know, mid-seeds come tournament time. Um, and the thing about the Big East that the Big East hangs their hat on is all – it's a defensive conference, right? Every team just always plays defense, like guys like Providence, you know, Georgetown, Villanova. All, all these teams are always known for their defense. Um, even Xavier is here. Um, they play really close games. They play up – to me, the Big East plays up to their competition – and they played down to the competition, which means a lot of fun basketball. We saw, you know, the UConn-Michigan State game was wild. Um, then even the other day, there was a Syracuse-Georgetown game. That was pretty fun. Um, it's just a fun conference, lots of competition. All these teams are going to get, you know, a handful of these teams are going to be some, some decent seeds. And uh, 
defense travels. That's the one thing, right? And, and it's a big East tournament. Even outside conference games, they play in, you know, like the Michigan States of the world. If you defense travel, sometimes your shots not fall on all these teams that hang their hat on defense, even Marquette that Jay likes, all these teams hang their hat. And that's why we're getting these low scoring, exciting games, man. And I love it. Yeah. And I mean, just to even address that, when you go through, if you talk about the seedings, like the kind of crazy seedings the Big East would have alone, you look at Villanova at nine right now. Keep going down. Seton Hall at 16. They got a big jump early uh, earlier this week. Connecticut at 20. Xavier, like you mentioned beforehand, 22. You got a lot of love. I mean, just barely outside of the top 25. Providence right there in the mix. It's it's Creighton is in there as well. Like, it's a lot of really solid squads that are flirting with, like, the top, top 50 already and top 30 alone. I think the Big East... Like I said, we always try to pick out a conference that we're like, if you zero in on this basketball, you're never going to have a game that felt like it was out of reach. The Big East might be one of those those conferences this year where I think you're going to see a lot of buzzer beaters, um, a lot of low scoring games because everybody's going to be locking up. And I think the biggest thing, too, is they're going to be there's going to be a lot of manipulation in the top 25, because when they start beating up in each other, like Jay was saying earlier, the fluctuation is going to be ridiculous because the quality of win, just as a conference, no matter what you could be facing, the last, the last place team in the conference is going to look really good just because of the strength of the conference as a whole, which I think is nuts because, you know, Jay posed the question, is the Big East back? I don't, I can't, like you said, we can't solidify that just yet, but it, it, it feels good to be able to get your hopes up early. So let's let's talk about let's talk about hopes for a second. That's actually a great way to transition into this. Kentucky basketball. Gotta love it, right? Gotta love it. Every year coming in, crazy recruiting class. But not this year, though. This year they played the game completely different. Went bonkers in the transfer portal. For 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 a John Calipari team, they they, they kind of old. They, they they a little back broke. They 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 kind of different in terms of being seasoned vets across the board for this squad. So, Ryan, I'm going to start with you on this one. They were one of the teams that dropped a lot in the AP Top 25 recently. Um, they are the second highest team, I guess, in terms of, like, significant drops. They dropped down 11 spots. Arkansas actually had 12 spots that they went down. And Texas is right behind them um, going down 10 spots. Um, we're going to zero in on Kentucky for a second, but I'm actually going to address all three of those teams in a little bit. What are your thoughts, Ryan, on Kentucky basketball right now? Because the truth be told, we were pretty high on them. And during the season, um, me and you agreed that we liked um, Ty Ty Washington going to that team and has been pretty solid for them. Oscar Shibway is literally a menace to society and definitely does not care about rebound, uh, does not care about backboards at all because that dude is a menace on the boards. I think he's averaging like six offensive rebounds per game. Dude said he wants to average 20 and 20. He might be flirting with it with the way he's acting right now. But this team, it just still feels like something's missing for them. But like, what are you, what are your thoughts on this Kentucky team so far? Cause I mean, they, I mean, they haven't been bad. They haven't been bad, but you mentioned that this team might be missing something. I honestly can't put my finger on it because they lost their first game of the season to a really great Duke team, but then they lost to Notre Dame in their most recent game. It was a really close game. But Kentucky shot terribly from three. They shot 10% from three. But um, just to kind of talk about some of their players, I mean, Oscar Sheway, 
you mentioned how great he's been as a guy that's been attacking the boards for them. Ty Ty Washington coming on this team as a five-star recruit. He's been playing pretty well this year. Kellen Grady, I thought he was definitely going to have a much bigger impact on this team, given what he did at Davidson as a guy who's been a genuine bucket getter. Severe Wheeler, that's another great pickup from a Georgia, and he's been playing pretty well for this team as well. Definitely getting it done on the defensive side, along with Shibway. Both of them are averaging just over a steal a game. You also have uh, players from last year's team, Jacob Toppin, Davion Mintz. You know, this team has the right mix of young players and veterans. Now, you go back to last year, there were some continuity issues because of the fact that they didn't have a lot of veteran leadership, and it really hurt their chances of winning a lot of games. I believe their most the, the player with the most experience was Olivier Saar, and he was a graduate transfer. I believe he was from Wake Forest, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But he was the most experienced player on that team, and all the other players had a year under their belt or were entering their first year. So at least John Calipari realized that this was the year that they needed to get more experience, and it seems to be working. I mean, they were playing some terrible basketball last year. They've really turned it around this year with this veteran leadership. So honestly, they still have a chance to win the SEC, but it's going to be a tough task considering there are a lot of, of, of there are a lot of great teams. You have Auburn with Bruce Pearl and Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. You also have Tennessee with Kennedy Chandler. Alabama's always going to be in the mix to win the SEC. There's definitely a ham, handful of teams that could make a lot of noise in the SEC, and, and Kentucky's one of them. Yeah, and so you talk about the way Kentucky's been playing so far and whatever it is that they are missing that we can't seem to put our finger on just yet, they are going to have to figure it out pretty soon because Cal was not playing with the scheduling this year at all. You know what I mean? They've got Ohio State ranked number 15 in the country right now. They got them right around the corner, and EJ Liddell uh, and Zed Key as a front court. They, I'm not going to say they're going to give Oscar Sheway problems, but that's going to be that's going to be a heavy load for him alone. Louisville, we already know. We both, we all of us know how it gets down when we talk about Kentucky versus Louisville. SEC play is already ridiculous. They they kicked that off with a good handful of squads, but I mean LSU in the early going, they got Tennessee, like Ryan was mentioning before. Auburn, the end of the year is brutal considering that they have four straight uh, games against teams that are like ranked in the top 25 right now. They end uh, in February, they, the back end of February, they got Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, and Arkansas straight through. It's like stuff like that. That's going to get nuts. Um, Ryan, any other thoughts on the sec and uh, Kentucky specifically for our swing it through breaking news, actually two hours ago from ESPN, the game between Ohio State and Kentucky has been canceled due to COVID-19 issues within the Buckeyes program. Rick Pitino actually just tweeted out about an hour ago. He's the head coach of Iona. He said, at Kentucky men's basketball, if you need an opponent Saturday, we travel. Oh, yeah. Get your your popcorn ready, everybody, because that could be a very interesting game. Talk about a team that also took down Alabama. You want to talk about, you know, big SEC killers. Iona is in that mix, too, of teams that's going to be pretty slick this year. And they're one of those teams that I think feels a bit slighted of and feels probably a little too far out of the conversation considering that big win earlier in the season, too. Um, But 
Jay, let's build off of that, though, right? Like, the SEC has a lot of competition, or huge, you know what I mean? But Kentucky is in a bounce-back year, which is huge because we don't say that much about Kentucky as, as a program. Um, so what are your thoughts in the early going about Kentucky and specifically where they stack up against the rest of the SEC? Because the SEC is pretty stacked, but I think Bilal said something interesting when he was talking about not being as high on Alabama as, like, the masses is. And I think that that just goes to – I think that's, like, the underlying storyline with the SEC is, like, they've got a lot of solid teams, but I don't know if anybody sticks out like a sore thumb just yet in terms of, like, really submitting themselves uh, above everybody else. That's a good way to put it. I think when you look at the SEC, that's exactly the way that I would look at it as well in the sense that there's not a team in there where I'm like, are they going to be the real deal? Are they going to be a deep contender come March? But again, that's something that, again, it's still December. Like, we're going to figure that out. Um, I'm going to start exactly where you guys start with Oscar Sheboy. That guy is a beast. I mean, I watched that Notre Dame game. He was everywhere. Every time Kentucky needed an answer, he was there who had an answer. But Notre Dame had, they don't have a presence in the paint. So Sheboy just took advantage of that. But guy can ball. And he is fun to watch down there. But Kentucky, yeah, I don't know. It's the same thing with them. Sometimes it's one year they have a really potent team. And you know that, you know, it's Final Four or bust. And then other years they have a team where it's like the Sweet 16 kind of their ceiling. And I think this Kentucky team is still a little early to kind of define who they are. Like you guys kind of mentioned, I think it's taking a little more time for some of the guys to mesh, knowing they, a lot of guys coming in are from transfers. But Kentucky, they're a good team. I wouldn't count them out in anything, and I would never count out a John Calipari-led team, that's for sure. But it'll be interesting to see how Kentucky does down the stretch. Like you pointed out their schedule. Got a tough schedule. I mean, anytime you're playing Arkansas, you know, coming off a deep run last year, Alabama's still there. Of course, I think we're all kind of a little, you know, on the fence about them. Auburn's playing good basketball. Same with LSU and Tennessee. So we'll kind of see what Kentucky's made out of down the stretch there. But it's unfortunate for them that the Ohio State game got canceled because that was a, a big opportunity for them to play um, – I, a team in the top 25 as well. So that's tough there, but I, I would love to see Iona would love to see that. Cause it's funny that you mentioned Louisville, Kentucky, the first thing that came to my mind, well, whoa, well, Patino's not there anymore. Then Ryan goes and brings up Iona and I'm like, Oh, well, there you go. Get Patino <laughs> one week and then Louisville the next, but we'll see what happens with Kentucky. Yeah. Kentucky. I agree. Honestly, that, that setup right there, especially as a back-to-back uh, uh, schedule for them would be, I think that would just from a narrative standpoint, coming out with two dubs in a row against those two teams with the circumstances as well, that would definitely, I think that would put them right back in the, in the running for where they need to be at. But like one of the biggest things that we touched that we touched on earlier, I think Ryan pointed out was the three point shooting for this team. And it's as bad as you can put it. I mean, Ty Ty Washington is at 37.9% and Kellen Grady is at 40%. But outside of that, is not good. I mean, they're either not taking them or it's 20, it's like 27% and less. Um, really like more so 25% and less. Um, below my question to you, it doesn't have to be a specific player, and we've kind of been asking around, and maybe maybe you can answer it, maybe you can't. Kentucky's a kind of confusing team in the early running if you look at everybody outside of Oscar. What do you feel like is the biggest thing they need to address? I'm I'm three-point shooting probably is like the one glaring thing for sure, but like what are some of the things you think that Kentucky needs to address in order to be like a real contender? Like let's say at least just in the sec, like a legit threat in the sec. Well, I think they'll be fine in the sec. Okay. Um, but this is Kentucky basketball. You're not playing for the sec, right? You're playing for 
from March. Um, but I just the thing I see from this team compared to their past teams, they don't have like, you know, the, the blue chippers like, you know, they don't have the guy who can create their own shot or like the explosiveness of like a deer and Fox or, you know, Tyrese Maxey was getting like that one guard who was just Malik Monk when his shot creation in Kentucky was ridiculous. Like it, I get it was a week, you know, it was a week recruiting class coming in. So maybe that's why he kind of stayed away from it. Um, kind of wanted to go and maybe had a bad taste in his mouth from last year's recruiting class. Cause those guys didn't pan out. Um, but I just don't like they're playing, you know, Sheboy's doing his thing, but you know, punching it in the paint, that's not really Kentucky. I mean, like they, they, they're more of a guard centric team all most of the time. Um, even when Bam was there, you know, he wasn't the main focal point of the offense when cat was there, he wasn't, I mean, that team was just loaded and even cat was shooting the three a lot. Right. So it's just a weird team. It's not, it doesn't scream a Kentucky basketball team to me. Um, Ty Ty Washington's doing all right, but he's not at that level, you know, where he's going to be a top five pick like some of these other Kentucky guards where uh, to me, I just think it's just a lack of a lack of talent almost. I think your final point is probably the best point you can make about this Kentucky team is that they are so guard centric um, in terms of, your, you know, their season to season production that these last two years, the the lack of otherworldly otherworldly produ- production that they've uh, they've had the lack of, I think has been hurting them a lot. Obviously, the two guys that stand out to me. Severe Wheeler, he's getting the job done um, in terms of assists per game, 7.7 assists per game. I think it's somewhere top in the nation, too, which is huge. But, I mean, he's not shooting it from three. And if there's anything I think he should be doing, is definitely stroking it out there because he helps push the pace. But if he could just be a better three-point shooter, it would change life for them. And then I think with Ty Ty, I think because of a dude, you know, despite his size discrepancy for, like, you know, when you talk, start talking NBA projection and stuff like that, the dude plays really physical. So I just wish he would get to the line a little bit more. I think that would be that would show off a little bit more for him in a way that like, yes, he doesn't have the first step of some of these guys like De'Aaron Fox, like you mentioned beforehand, or like even Tyrese Maxey in terms of being able to burst and create around the basket as a dude who's going to blow by. But if he would just create more opportunities to play with that physicality and lean more into it as opposed to kind of shy away from it. I think that would help him a lot. He's taking less than two free throws a game. Like he has the play style as a downhill player to definitely do more damage from, um, from the line than that. And he's shooting over 80%. So if he gets there, I think he'll convert. I think that's the biggest thing. I think turning Ty Ty into a more aggressive player, what we, what we saw in high school of him being a really aggressive uh, scoring option he just needs to unlock that again. I know there's a lot of talent on this Kentucky team, and I know there are a lot older guys filling out the roster for this team, but I think he needs to really assert himself um, if this if this squad wants to, you know, like like Bilal said, not they're not playing for SEC uh, greatness. They're playing to be a legitimate team in the, in the tournament. So I think that's a huge thing to touch on. And then, guys, we're going to close it out with a team that was dumpster fire, punching bag, uh, laughing stock might be a little bit over the top, but definitely was one of those teams that was not too good last year, and that's Iowa State. Ryan, this this Iowa State team has to, bar none, be I'm gonna say top three most surprising teams in uh, teams in the uh, NCAA so far this season. Not super sure 
how much of a reach that might be, but they definitely have a have had a big turnaround so far this season. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on them as a team this year because the Big 12 outside of Baylor looks like there's a lot of shenanigans that's going to take place. But this was a team that was 2-22 and 22 last year, and they're one of the, I believe, nine uh, remaining undefeated squads. Um, in the country right now. So talk about a turnaround. So, Ryan, what's, what are your thoughts on Iowa State right now, man? Turnaround is an understatement. Two wins the previous year. They're 10-0 and right now. And they're also doing it without one of their best players. Rasir Bolton transferred to Gonzaga. And now they're they're getting it done based off of the guard play, pretty much. I, Isaiah Brockington. I think you obviously have to point to him to start 16.6 points, 7.7 rebounds, shooting the ball very well from the field and from three. He's a guy that attacks the glass, also able to push the pace and transition like this. This is a player that you want to lead your offense. Now you look at Iowa State's schedule to this point. I mean, they played a lot of great teams. They also just knocked off Iowa. They knocked off Creighton recently. They've had their fair share of games where you, you've you gotten a good sample size of this team to know what they're made of. But they're in the same conference as Baylor and Kansas. Baylor, by the way, third in the country in scoring defense, and they have not allowed an opponent to score over 65 points a game. Just to tell you how dominant their defense has been so far. And then Kansas, of course, every single year is no joke. They've had some great games, great play from Christian Braun, Remy Martin's been a great point guard for them this year as well. Iowa State's going to have to really fight for this division. And the turnaround has been impressive. But when you talk about other teams outside of Baylor and Kansas, like Texas Tech and Texas, they're going to have to go. They're they're going to have to go undefeated in order to win this. Yeah, I think when it comes to Iowa State, that that's really a good point. I mean, it's just the fact that they're going to have to make a lot of noise in those games outside of like Baylor. I think Texas Tech, Texas Tech is going to be a hard out. I'm very big on Texas. I just think that they need to kind of get their ish together, so to speak. They have a lot of guys that are transfers that are coming from programs where they were double digit scorers and were kind of late led um to be um primary options. And on this team, there's so many of them that they're still trying to figure out, you know, where they where they fit. Dylan DeSue hasn't played either, and that kind of puts them in a weird spot. But zeroing back on Iowa, uh, I mean, on uh, Iowa State, excuse me, when they faced off against Iowa, hell, Keegan Murray, who's probably one of the better players, better bigs for sure in the Big Ten, to nine points. When they faced Memphis, Jalen Duran, who people are arguing is a top five pick in the league, only had two points, two points in the whole game. And this is not a big Iowa State team by any means either. They're not. They they're definitely a heavy guard centric squad. Uh, Jay, I feel like it's a hard sell to try to argue that Iowa State is a top three team in the Big Twelve, right? But what about Iowa State stands out? And if you can't think of anything specifically that maybe puts them um, in maybe a quote unquote better light than some of these other squads like Baylor. What are some of the things that the other squads like Baylor, Texas, Texas, Texas have that Iowa State doesn't have that you feel like kind of puts Iowa State at the lower part of the pecking order? 
basically, what is Iowa State missing that could put them over the top and make them a legitimate threat? Yeah, I think if I was able to watch Iowa State a little more closely, I think mm. I'd be able to answer this a little better. But having said that, the fact that Iowa State's 10-0, I mean, is nothing short of impressive. That's something else. And we've talked a lot about the Big East, the SEC, but the Big 12 is a conference that's consistently really competitive. Like each and every year you've got teams. Iowa State, yeah, their record was garbage last year, but they were in some of those games late. I cannot remember who it might have been. I think it was against Baylor, actually, late in the year. They challenged them late to the end of that game. Iowa State, you never know with these things. Like last year, again, I don't think a lot of us paid attention to them because of their record. Having said that, maybe that was just kind of an anomaly kind of thing with COVID and last year and all that stuff, right? Look at all the, all the big names, Duke, Kentucky, didn't make the tournament, right? Michigan State, um, they struggled early. Carol, North Carolina struggled early. So you look at all the stuff that happened last year. Now we're going into this year, Iowa State, and it's like, okay, we got a chance to start fresh. And like Ryan said, it's not like they, they beat some decent teams, right? We talked about Creighton earlier in the Big East. They beat them. They beat Iowa. And then the other two that we didn't uh, mention yet, they beat a Xavier team, who we also talked about briefly earlier. And they beat Memphis, who we also talked about earlier. So those are not teams that are, you know, like early year, early conference. No, they played some decent teams and they beat them. So that's impressive. But I think you both kind of touched upon it well is, yes, Kansas and Baylor have been, you know, the teams to beat in this conference for several years now. You got to try and beat them. Iowa State has had some success in the past, so it's not like, you know, this is new to them. I think last year, again, might just be one of those years that was kind of off, but that will only, you know, the time will tell when we get a chance to see them play, and I haven't got a chance to actually see them play properly yet, but it's been impressive, at least from looking at the record and who they beat. It's been impressive stuff. And so you you referenced that game um, against Baylor last year. Uh, Game ended as a five-point victory for Baylor in Waco 72-77 in favor of Baylor and two of the guys who had big hands in that game Rasir Bolden now on Gonzaga 21 points Tyler Harris now on Memphis 22 points you know Ryan was mentioning that the thing that might be the most impressive about this Iowa State team is what they saw go out the door when considering how they've been doing what they've been doing so I think that's I think that's an even more um, impressive feat when you talk about what they've done so far this year It's definitely the talent that's left. And the fact that uh, Brockington has stepped up big time for them um, with that that kind of talent going out the door below. I'm going to formulate this question in a way that is sort of kind of fair to the rest of the Big 12 in a way after Baylor. Right. To fill out your top three based on what you've seen so far. Who do you believe are the top three teams in the Big 12 right now? Oof. Well, Big 12, you know, it's – it's. I would have to go – I think Kansas and, and, you know, Iowa State are my two. You're saying excluding Baylor, so I have to pick one more. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly can't even think of one, man, because I'm going to go – off the top, that's tough. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm going to go with Texas, but I've been heavy on Texas since the minute we came into the year. Um, Texas Tech has a really good case because they're always going to be good defensively, and that's just not going to change. And I think one of your points earlier about defense traveling is huge. And in a Big 12 where I think 
that a lot of these teams can put up points in a hurry. Um, when you get into those matchups against the Baylors of the world that are extremely deep, Texas Tech is going to be a really interesting team when you talk about us having to see them, I think, twice. Um, so, I mean, it's one of the Texas teams to me. I'm leaning with Texas, yeah. um, the, the, the Longhorns, just out of the fact that I've been higher on them. And I think when they get DeSue back later on um, during what will probably be like early portion of conference play, they'll have another big-time score at the wing position, kind of fill out the roster even more. I'm going to go with them. That's who I would go with. Um, to close out the pod, I'm actually going to hand it to you guys in the form of this. And Bilal, I'll actually just start off with you with this one. What is one other thing that you would want to share with our viewers in terms of something you've been keeping uh, tabs on, a player you've been watching, um, anything that you've really like honed in on so far this NCAA season that you think viewers should maybe, you know, keep tabs on too? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to go with um... – well, Purdue's been a major storyline too, and in in college season so far. But I'm gonna single out Jaden Ivy because I was telling Jay about this like at the start of the year, and I was like, you know what, um, Jaden Ivy, I think he's gonna be a lottery pick. I think he might even work his way into like the top five now when we're we're talking about it when it's all said and done because he just got the build. His it, it, I just love his game. I love everything about it. Um, and this is a pretty weak class. I mean, Chet, you know, came in as the number one guy. You know, maybe it's him. Maybe it's the kid from Duke, Ben Carroll. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a weak class. I think Jaden Ivey could definitely see his way into the top five. And it's not a stretch, depending on how Purdue does. I mean, they were the number one seed for a week. It's Purdue, right? To get that number one seed for a week, that's that speaks major volume to his draft stock. So I'm really high on him so far. I think it's I think it's a good thing to gas Jaden Ivey, especially in a draft class like this, because I believe that at least the top four guys are all centers. Chet, right? Talked about him beforehand. Paulo, uh, Jabari Smith for Auburn, and then Jalen Duran. Those are like the top five guys. I'm mean, top four guys of filling up the top five, and they're all they're all centers for the most part. Um, so I think in a class that when especially you want to talk about guard play, I think from a talent perspective. There's a lot of good players in this draft class, but from the guard perspective, this is definitely a weaker class. Once you get past the first two or three guys, I think Jaden Ivey has the potential to be that number one guy in that guard group. And then when you start talking about how the ping pong balls fall, there might be a team that needs a guard way more than they need a center. And I definitely, as of right now, I got to agree with you. I think Jaden Ivey might actually be the best guard on the board from an NBA draft standpoint. Uh, Jay, what is one thing that you've been keeping your eye out on so far this season, really been glued to the TV when it comes to college basketball that you think other people should kind of key in on? Um, I mean, I'm going to be honest. This, as a team, because I haven't totally been all on college ball so far, but from looking at things when I'm, when I'm keeping an eye on the standing stuff, especially with all the stuff I've been reading, y'all got to keep your eyes on the Arizona Wildcats. This is a team that I'm surprised we didn't even talk about them in this episode. And I, I, you know, I, I obviously know their coach Tommy Lloyd coming from the Mark Few regime in Gonzaga. So I, I didn't know what to really make out of that. Sean Miller was there forever. And Arizona was always a decent program. And then obviously the last few years have been kind of tumultuous, right? There's a bunch of, you know, off-court stuff with Sean Miller. He's gone. bringing Tommy Lloyd in. Arizona looks awesome. Again, I can't speak for how I've actually seen them, like, on the court. I haven't watched the full game yet. 
but they beat Illinois. They beat Michigan earlier in the year. Michigan's struggling a little bit, but I'm sure they'll, they'll get their act together later in the year. But Arizona's 10-0 right now. The Pac-12, I wouldn't say is as competitive as some of the other conferences we talked about. Having said that, I think Arizona's resurgence is something to keep an eye on. And we'll see how they do later on in the year. But they got two decent wins so far, and they're unbeaten. That's another thing to keep an eye on. And they're ranked eighth in the top 25. I'd keep my eyes out on the Arizona Wildcats. I think that's a great point. One of the best teams, I think they're number one in points per game in the country. Um, one of the better teams overall in terms of talent. Crazy international talent across the board on their depth chart, too. Um, which is good to watch. Benedict Mathurin's the main guy that's being discussed in terms of NBA draft talks on top of that. And, and Jay, I don't want to sell them too short. When they, In that game against Illinois, they murdered them on the boards, which is pretty big to, to speak on when you talk about the fact that they got Kofi Coburn down there, and yeah. he's going to be one of the better bigs in the Big Ten. So to be able to be that effective on the boards, I think they, like, I think they had 41 points in the paint or something ridiculous like that. So that just goes to tell you that this is a team that's playing downhill. They're playing together. I think they're one of the best teams in terms of assists per game as well as a squad. I, yeah, they're actually number one at just under 22 assists per game. So it's like they're playing together. I heard Bill Walton get a little beside himself and say they're, they're, they're the, uh, the Golden State Warriors of the, uh, the, the Conference of Champions, he said. It sounds like a Bill Walton thing, don't it? But that's – that. you know – Despite all the hyperbole, I definitely believe that Arizona is one of those teams that is going to be pretty deadly all year. And the fact that they have a lead guy in Benedict at the, uh, at the forefront and they've got a lot of guys who play together, they're going to be a scary team. Like you said, Pac-12, maybe not as competitive as some of these other conference we, conferences we talked about today. But nonetheless, in the grand scheme of things, Arizona is going to be one of the teams that when we start getting closer to tournament time, they're going to have a good say-so in terms of where their seating should be. Um, Ryan, uh, any final thoughts before you take us out of here? I just have one quick thing to say about the West Coast Conference because I know we talk about Gonzaga and BYU as those two teams that seem like automatic locks in that conference. Keep your eye out on San Francisco. There is something about that team. And a couple of interesting wins that they've had this year against Oregon and Notre Dame, which – they're in power five conferences. So they, those are some pretty good wins regardless of their record. So that's a team that I think if they continue to win games and if they can show that they are competitive against Gonzaga, there could be three teams in March that end up in the March, in the uh, March madness tournament from the West coast conference. Can't disagree with that, man. I think that San Francisco has been pretty solid as a guy who covers Towson basketball every single week, being on being one of those L's for San Francisco hurts, but they're a pretty solid team out there in the West Coast Conference. So I think that's a good uh, team to point out. I think a lot of people, like you mentioned beforehand, the BYUs and of, of course, Gonzaga at the top, but I think the West Coast Conference is pretty solid throughout. And that's going to be one of those teams in San Francisco that could make some noise. But Ryan, that is the end of the podcast. Solid pod as always with the Baller Island Bros. Uh, uh, let's let them plug their stuff real quick. Drop the question of the day. Let's get out of here. Jay and Bilal, do you guys have anything to promote from the Baller Island or any other personal work that you guys have going on? Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, man. We just doing our thing. We, we post once a week on Wednesdays. Um, just an hour episode a week. Uh, we're kind of locked in on football now. It's getting crunch time over there. So a lot of football content. 
Um, we try to slide in some NBA, you know, when when news comes around. Um, my guy Evan Moby's popping off, you know, so Thanks. slide in some basketball content in there. But it's majority football right now, and then as things transition, we're gonna diversify it a little bit more. Yeah, we still going football heavy right now, and probably around February ish, we'll transition back to ball after the Super Bowl is all wrapped up there, and then we'll finally have you guys onto the island at some point once we start going into basketball stuff because it, it's just been all football really right now. And last thing I wanted to point out, we we're talking about the Big East and then we kind of transitioned over. Isn't it kind of ironic how when UConn was back in the Big East, when the old Big East, that's when things went crazy. UConn leaves, Big East goes downhill, UConn goes back, and now here we are talking about the Big East being crazy again, right? Ooh. I mean – I had to, I had to add that in. I took that in and I was like, well, damn, but <laughs> maybe, maybe we need Syracuse moving back there at some point too. But thanks for having us again, boys. It was another great episode. Great to talk with you guys. Sir. Yeah. We are very glad that you guys were available to come on for this episode. Definitely have to go on the Island at some point. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, sticking with Iowa state. Do you believe that Iowa state, has a chance to win the Big 12? Or do you think Baylor or Kansas can actually make it happen and win the Big 12? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.